I want to share some things from Luke chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. How's that? Buckle up. We're going to go for a ride today. Um, The last couple weeks I've talked about things related to Christmas. Um, Last week was the prominence of angelic activity uh, surrounding this narrative of the birth of Jesus, the conception of John the Baptist. Angels were involved in that. Uh, angels were involved in announcing to uh, Mary and to Joseph about the coming Messiah, and they were involved with uh, telling shepherds. You see this angelic activity, and it's not coincidental. It's kind of like one of the phrases in one of the songs, Jesus brought heaven down. It's heaven coming this way. One time in, and this is one of the reasons why I love going through the Gospel of John Jesus has these back and forth with people who are his enemies, and they're constantly trying to hedge him into making a... You know, he would, he would really fit well with the press corps today. Let's see if we can get him to make a misstatement. And uh, so here they're always pressing him to say something that they want to pin on him. It's like, we knew you were fake. We knew something was up with you. In one of those settings in John chapter 8, They're involved in this very intense confrontation, Jesus and his enemies, and and he says this to his antagonist. I think this is in verse 23. He said, um, you are from below. (laughs) How about that? Now, I don't know how else you can interpret that. It seems like he's making a point here, right? He didn't say you're from here. He gets that in the next statement. He says, you are from below, meaning your spirit is from a dark place, a satanic, demonic place. He said, I'm from above. And then he makes this statement. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And the very next thing he says in the following verse is that you will die in your sins if you don't believe that I am he then you will die in your sins. In other words, he said, God has sent me from another world to this world to tell you to repent and turn to him. And if you don't do that, you will die in your sins. He said, I've come from another place to this place. He said, I'm from, I've been sent here to speak truth and to speak life to come and present something greater than the Torah, greater than celebrations of festival, greater than Sabbath regulations. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. From the very first words of the book of Genesis, you see the activity of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is not just angelic activity is increasing. You, you just watch the ministry of the Holy Spirit involved in the narrative of, of the birth of Jesus. But it says early in the words of Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, that the earth was without uh, form and void and darkness was there. It's kind of like a chaotic description of how things were. And it says the Holy Spirit came in overshadowed or brooded over that, and out of that, the Holy Spirit had a hand in the creative work of God. It should not surprise us that when we look in Luke chapter 1, 
and 2 and 3 that we see an increased activity in referencing to the Holy Spirit. In fact, the first place you see in Luke chapter 1 that is a reference to the Holy Spirit comes through one of the angels. Gabriel's announcing to Mary that she's been chosen to give birth to the promised Messiah. And her response was like, well, you know, I'm, how can that be? How can I give birth when I'm a virgin? And Gabriel's very next words to her were these. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you and that which is born of you, that holy thing that is born of you, is the Son of God. So he was telling her that the Holy Spirit was going to do this. This was not going to be her doing it. She didn't have to do anything. She just had to be receptive to the purpose of God. This was all God's doing. Right after that, in verse 39, if you want to start tracking it there, I'm just kind of paraphrasing leading up to that. In verse 39, she leaves to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, her relative, because Gabriel has also told Mary Elizabeth is six months pregnant right now. So she leaves to visit her. She stays for about three months, right up to when uh, their baby is born. And in verse 40, it says, when she walked into Zachariah's house, she greeted Elizabeth. And I would think that this wasn't a special greeting. It's just like, hey, how you doing? It wasn't even special, but it was special because something was going on there. And Elizabeth said that the baby leaped within her, jumped. I don't know how a baby jumps inside of a woman, but I guess that's the best way to describe it. This was not typical movement of the baby. I would think that there was something unique about what happened. And the very next thing in verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And isn't that interesting? She hears Mary's greeting. The baby reacts immediately with this jolt. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she begins to prophesy. I doubt if Elizabeth is used to prophesying. This is all unique. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 42, I like the way uh, Luke describes it, in a loud voice. (laughs) You know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon prophets and they they weren't really filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come on them at moments and they would prophesy. It's like, it's not like the Holy Spirit resided in them or even on them. There were moments when the Holy Spirit prompted them to give a prophetic word. Thus saith the Lord is what they usually preference. But the Holy Spirit was the agency by which that was coming. And this is what she said to, to Mary. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Stop right there. Do you think Elizabeth knew Mary was pregnant? How would she know? 
All of this is the Holy Spirit revealing something to her. And she goes on to say this, And why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she, she's referencing Mary here, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is not typical language. This is Spirit of God generated prophecy. And Mary responds to it. And, and you know, um, Luke re- records all of this. He's writing all of this. How did he know that the Holy Spirit had filled up Elizabeth? How did he know it was the Holy Spirit doing all this? Could be that God was just revealing that to him, or it could be that these people were doing things not typical for them to do. And maybe, just maybe, that's how you know the Holy Spirit is operating in your life. If you can do anything without Him, that doesn't mean it's not good. It just means that you don't need Him to do that. But we need Him to help us do what we don't typically do and how we respond to certain situations. In fact, it would help us all if we waited for the Holy Spirit to show us how to respond to things (laughs) before we respond. Immediately... Mary responds to this in verse 46. And she says this. It's not very long, it's not, but it's, it's uh, I just want you to watch the language because even though it doesn't say that Mary's filled with the Holy Spirit, Mary is carrying the promised Messiah. So that's pretty close. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Look at how many words, redemptive, redemptive-oriented words, Savior, Redeemer. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And I think you can say she's really prophesying here. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, as he's promised our ancestors or our fathers. So Mary's given this prophetic word. That had been an interesting sight to be in that house when all that was going on. Well, Mary leaves. And stay with me right there in chapter 1 because it's a long chapter. Mary leaves, and about the time she leaves, Elizabeth gives birth to her son, John. He's eight days old, and they take him for a very important special ceremony, his circumcision. And at that ceremony is when the the little boy's name is given to him officially. Now, when I read that, and I'm not going to dwell a lot on that because I'm going to move on to what happens right after that. Elizabeth knows his name's supposed to be John, but you got these intrusive people trying to tell her that 
that's not going to work. Maybe you know people like that that try to help you name your children. <laughs> well, that, I don't like that name. Well, we're not your child. <laughs> you know, we're naming our child. But all of a sudden, they ask Zachariah, and he asks for a pad. He, he writes it out. His name is John. And immediately, his tongue is released. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he declares. Praise be to the Lord. This is verse 68. The same person that Gabriel looked at and says, you doubt what I'm saying? You're not going to talk until all of this happens. You know, it's kind of like he's probably thinking, all right, it's eight days after the baby's born and I still can't talk. But as soon as he obeyed to name him John, his his voice comes back, and not just his voice, but the voice of the Holy Spirit flows through this man. A once pessimistic person is now filled with the Spirit, and he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Notice the language here. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies. And you get a little bit of an Old Testament feel here that he's, he's dipping back into their history. Watch this. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. He's talking about Israel's enemies. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the covenant he made with Abraham and the people of Israel, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. It's kind of like he looks back prophetically to the past and he brings that up to the right now, what's going on, and he's not finished. He begins to prophesy over his own child at his circumcision. Listen to this in verse 76. And you, my child will be called a prophet of the Most High. Again, this is the man filled with the Holy Spirit saying this. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. This kind of language was not referenced in the Old Testament. Because of the tender mercy of God, which by the rising sun will come to us from heaven. This is another world coming to our world to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I love it that he's prophesying over his own son. And you think about it, all through the pregnancy and the first eight days of this child's life, he's never heard his dad's voice. Not even in the room, you know, I, I, I do believe this. I, I, I admire fathers who believe it when during their, their, their wife's pregnancy, they lean down to her, her abdomen and says, hello in there. Hope you're doing well. This is your daddy. Can't wait to meet you. He never even heard a conversation. He heard Mary's words, didn't he? He heard that. And these are the, fir- the first words. I, th- I thought this was remarkable. The first words he hears his father say is a prophecy over him. And he says, what does an eight-day-old... Uh, this baby is filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> Who knows how fast he learned? But this is, this is the prophetic word that he's given to him. 
And how does... How do you know that it was Zechariah that was filled with the Holy Spirit? You see untypical or atypical things going on here in this family. Now let's move on to the birth of Jesus. You're going to see an increased activity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' birth, was it typical? Anything but typical. His, his birth was miraculous. Listen to this. Before wise men showed up with gifts... And, you know, it's kind of neat how we do our, uh, our Christmas dramas, right? The wise men and the shepherds are all right there together. It's very nice for pictures, but that's not what happened. Sorry to rain on anybody's drama. But, but the wise men show up much later because they come into a house, not a stable, and present gifts to a child, not an infant. But the shepherds are there, and they are just blown away by what they've seen They leave the stable, they go back to their homes, and they encounter family and and sheep and all of that, and everything goes back to normal, but it's not normal with Jesus. I want to take you to verse 25, because it talks about Jesus has his day of circumcision, eight days of, of age. His name is given to him, Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord is salvation. A little bit after that, They bring him back to dedicate him to the Lord as a firstborn male. And that firstborn male is set aside. This goes back to Egypt when the death of the firstborn. The Lord said, all firstborn animals, male and people, belong to me. You have to bring a sacrifice to acknowledge that that one belongs to me. And so they go to the temple and they encounter a man named Simeon. This is verse 25. And Simeon is a unique man. Let me just read it, 25 through 27, if you're there. It says, There's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, here again is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the actual Messiah. I don't know if he told anybody that, but you can imagine people, oh, sure, right, Very, yes, sir, I know you'll get to see him. Or whether he just kept that to himself. We do know this, that Luke is telling us this man had had a, a witness of the Holy Spirit telling him specifically that he would see the Messiah. In verse 27, it says he was moved by that same Holy Spirit. When he went to the temple courts that day, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Now get this. Here's a man. The Holy Spirit is on him. Why is the Holy Spirit on him? Because he's going to do something that's part of the plan of God. And it's not typical. Again, I want to tell you, why do we we need the power of the Holy Spirit? To do that that we can't do in ourselves. And Simeon had been, it had been revealed to him. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him. You will see the actual Messiah before you die. And he speaks to that when he prophesies in just a moment. But on that particular day when that couple, a young couple with a small newborn baby, comes to the temple to sacrifice and present him as a dedication to the Lord, the Holy Spirit tells him that day, go to the temple courtyard. And I'm sure when he went there, there might have been other couples with their babies there to dedicate to the Lord. But the Holy Spirit pointed out 
Mary and Joseph, that's him, that's the Messiah. He walks over and takes Jesus out of her arms and holds him in his arms. And this is what he said in verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, may you now dismiss your servant in peace. He's actually said, I can die now. <laughs> I've, I've reached the zenith of life. I'm holding the Messiah. I can go now. He says, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have not just seen Messiah. My eyes have seen your salvation. Your salvation is here, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is not something a Jewish man would say on his own. He would have never included the Gentiles into that statement. It's the Holy Spirit. And then if you're reading on in 33, he begins to speak to Mary. He begins to encourage her, but he also gives her this painful revelation that a sword will pierce her soul as her son is pierced later on. And then there's Anna. In verse 36, not your typical widow, not your typical prime timer, octogenarian. She practically camped at church. That's what it says. She fasted and prayed and hung out at the temple all the time. Now, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit was upon her right then, but I think anybody at any age who stays around the temple fasting and praying all the time, that just might be the Holy Spirit on them. But she also has a word. This is in verse 36. Well, let me drop down to verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, right after Simeon, right after Simeon finished his prophecy, She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, salvation. This is a redemptive narrative. It's the prompting of the Holy Spirit moving upon our world. And I want to jump ahead to Luke chapter 3. You know John 3, 16, right? You know Luke 3, 16. Luke 3, 16 may ought to be right behind as knowing what John 3.16 says. John is now preaching. You know, I think when, when Zechariah was prophesying over him, what he was doing, he was preaching what John would preach years later. He was preaching the same message that his son would preach when he got into his late 20s and early 30s. That the salvation of the Lord was now here. And John was such a dynamic preacher, a dynamic prophetic voice, that it was openly speculated that he might be the Messiah. And not speculated among people whispering, he was even asked directly if he was the Messiah. Now, I thought about that. I thought about if John was a TV personality, TV preacher. And some says, are you the Messiah? 
I think probably the response was, oh, goodness, no. But I'm honored to be mentioned in the same name. It's just a real honor for me. And I, I wrote a book about this. And uh, I'm just going to Amazon and, and buy my latest book. I, I, no, it's not me. Goodness, no, it's not me. <laughs> That's not how John responded. That's not how John responded. He, he didn't think that was a compliment at all. It, he revolted from that. He, it repelled him. No, no, it's, I'm not even near him. I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. That wouldn't even, I'm not even honored enough to do that. But in Luke 3, 16, John makes it perfectly clear the great gulf between him and the one that is the true Messiah. He says something like this, I baptize with water. I'm using water as my element of baptism. The one who is really the Messiah, the one coming after me, he will immerse you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you in a much greater, more profound, more dynamic way. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Talks about his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge the chaff and burn it up with unquenchable fire. He's talking about, I'm using water, he's using fire. There is a big difference between the two. And this is John. This is John kind of repel, repelling from this. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not even near him. And even told his, his own disciples, I have to decrease that he increases. I know my role. John said, I know my role. It is to point everybody to him. And that is another indicative of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus. Always point us to Jesus. And what happened right after that? He baptizes Jesus. And when he comes up out of the water, it said the heavens were open. The heavens were open. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove. And a voice spoke from the open heavens and said, This is my son, the one I love, the one I'm very well pleased with. You see the increased activity of the Holy Spirit. And John was told by God that when you baptize the person, that the Holy Spirit comes and visibly lands on him in the form of a dove, that's him. I think John knew it was him early on before the baptism because he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He said that before he baptized him. And even later on when he's in jail and in prison and he's facing death, he has this moment that he sends his own disciples and he says, go and ask Jesus again, is he really the one? And it's almost like my life is worth dying for if I know, if I just have a confirmation to what I've known in my soul, if I just get one more confirmation that he's the one. And Jesus told his disciples, you go back and you tell him everything you're watching, everything you see in our ministry, that people have the gospel preached to them, miracles and healings are taking place. You just tell them what 
is going on here, and that's what they did. And then you see at the first part of chapter 4, and I'll end with this, as the praise team can come back up. There's this genealogy after Jesus' baptism. And it goes all the way down to Adam, his genealogy. And and chapter 4 simply states this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And from that baptism... The Holy Spirit was draped over the Son of God. Everything he did, like Karen referenced in, in the Sunday school class, what Philippians 2 says, that he, uh, he didn't hold on to equality with God. He, he actually emptied himself of the use of any attribute, any divine attribute. He gave up any source of that kind of access to live here totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. You know, Robert Morris did a series on the title of the Holy Spirit I did not, or the, the God I did not know. And it was a reference, a study on the Holy Spirit because we kind of like just say his name and we're done with it. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. It's kind of like when I hear Gary S. Paxson introduce himself and he'd say, hey, I'm Gary S. Paxson. Don't forget the S. It's one-third of my name. You know, the Holy Spirit is one-third of the, the Trinity. And they're in this total level of ministry, totally united in ministry and purpose. And Jesus even told his apostles that last night when he was sitting at the Last Supper, he said, It's good for you that I go. It's good for you that I leave. I'm one person. I can only be in one place at one time. When he took on a body, he said, I can only be with you in this form. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will be able to be with everybody at the same time. And he will empower you to be my witnesses. Do you think we need a new wave of the Holy Spirit? a new infilling of the Holy Spirit. How do we know when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? I've often wondered how, if there's no actual untypical or atypical things that are going on, how do, how do we know that we're really being moved by the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you, for me, and I think it bears in, in what we've just read, when you do what's not typically your activity... When you don't respond in a way that's typical of you. You know, we we just might need to be filled with the Holy Spirit when we're driving our vehicles. Right? Because we know what we typically, how we typically respond. And I don't think anybody in here, including myself, will say, well, that was the Holy Spirit. No, that was Charles Lynn. But if we're going to do what's not typically of us, it's going to be because we said, Holy Spirit, you take over. And you know what I think about issues with people who are a little like this about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, I don't understand that. Especially if 
speaking in tongues comes with it. I think it comes down to we like to be in control. We like to be determined. We like to determine how we do things, right? And in a way, we have to let go of that, just like Jesus let go of the use of his attributes to do exactly what the Holy Spirit told him to do and led him to do. Holy Spirit came upon him in baptism, and immediately before his clothes were dry, he drove him up into the wilderness to encounter the enemy for 40 days of hand-to-hand combat. Now, who wants to do that? But things happen when we say, Holy Spirit, you take over. Would you stand with me?